You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and zero trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their sassy journey, visit netskope.com. ISIS claims responsibility for the Manchester concert bombing. Security companies make their case for pinning WannaCry on North Korea. U.S. legislators consider bills to upgrade equipment and permit hacking back. Plus, a community-based approach to cyber resiliency. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, May 23, 2017. Authorities in the UK continue to investigate yesterday's lethal bombing at a Manchester concert. The suicide bomber has been identified as Salman Abedi, a 23-year-old man who had previously come to the attention of authorities for an interest in ISIS. The working theory initially has been that Abedi acted alone, but UK security agencies are looking for signs of co-conspirators. The lone wolf working theory is provisional, with experts suggesting the nature of the bomb used indicates a support network, and minimally the sort of planning it would have been difficult for a solitary terrorist to conduct. CBS News has reported that another young man was taken into custody in connection with the attack. Twenty-two victims, including a number of children, have so far died in the attack. Fifty-nine others are believed to have been wounded. ISIS has been quick to claim responsibility in its online channels, characterizing the murdered victims, mostly young music fans, as polytheists, crusaders, and worshippers of the cross, and celebrating the attack in its now familiar narrative of inspiration aimed at recruiting and inciting similar terrorists. ISIS characterizes Abedi as a soldier of the caliphate. ISIS appears to be instructing its members to stay clear of social media activities that could bring them to the attention of law enforcement or intelligence services. Those same services are, of course, sorting through the online chatter and similar evidence. More circumstantial evidence points to North Korea as the responsible party in the WannaCry ransomware attacks. The apparent motive and clues in the attack code itself are consistent with a DPRK operation, but of course the attribution remains provisional and tentative. A number of profiles have appeared of North Korea's Unit 180, a cyber operations organization thought to be behind the Lazarus Group and such operations as Dark Soul. Symantec, which has been tracking WannaCry, now assesses a link to North Korea as highly likely. That confidence, as reported by Ars Technica, is founded on these bits of evidence, many of them gleaned from earlier, more contained distributions of the ransomware. First, three bits of malware linked to the Lazarus Group were left on a network that sustained an early attack by WannaCry in February, the Trojan.Volgmer and two variants of Backdoor.Distover. Backdoor.Distover was a disk wiping tool the Lazarus Group used against Sony Pictures. Next, Trojan.Alfank, used to spread WannaCry in March and April, is a version of the Lazarus Group's Backdoor.Doozer. 
Bravonk, another delivery mechanism for WannaCry, used the same command-and-control IP address as Doozer and Distover. Bravonk's obfuscation methods were significantly similar to WannaCry's and to other malware associated with the Lazarus group. And finally, the Lazarus group's ContoP malware has significant similarities to WannaCry itself. The Eternal Rocks campaign, which like WannaCry is based on the Eternal Blue exploits the Shadow Brokers leaked, continues to appear more troublesome to most observers. Its goal is persistence. The purpose of establishing that persistence remains so far unknown, but it doesn't appear to be a simple ransomware campaign. Its execution is superior to WannaCry's. It's worth noting that Polaris Alpha has suggested that WannaCry's apparent slipshod execution may have been a matter of design as opposed to ineptitude. The attackers may have been probing to test the response an attack on unpatched systems would evoke. The Cyber Resilience Institute is a national not-for-profit organization that says their mission is to help communities build operational and sustainable public-private partnerships and cybersecurity information-sharing environments. Doug DePep is co-founder and board president of the Cyber Resilience Institute. We take a cyber capacity building approach to communities, to localities. And so take me through how does that work? How, how do you engage with a How do you identify a community and then how do you engage with them? One of the key things that, that really helped us is we were funded by the Department of Homeland Security for a cyber market development project. So what we're, we're engaged with now is building out a marketplace model. You know, there's a big effort now for information sharing in the ISAOs and ISACs. And if you take that model and put it in a community, the question becomes, uh, how, what is the business model? How does that sustain itself? There's a need for information sharing. It's a great idea. It's a defensive mechanism for situational awareness. And uh, we see that once you have that situational awareness, once you stand up your, your ISAO, it creates more market opportunities because that growing awareness of the threat and even different technical sensing that reveals, you know, an indicator of compromise, that that then leads to greater interest in training and improving, you know, an organization's cyber resilience. So it just leads to additional services being needed, uh, as well as the awareness of it creates demand. And so what we're under our contract, what we are building out is a a market-based a market forces, a marketplace-based model in communities. From a practical point of view, what does the engagement look like? The starting point is building a community. So we have a toolkit. So it's called the Sea Champion Toolkit. That's how a community wanting to affiliate with us, um, they can go on to a site and they can download the toolkit. And that just gives the basic organizing information what the value proposition, how to, how to reach out in a community to your vendors, to your potential members, and so on. It describes the business model. The other way that you can get started is we've started up a national cyber threat intelligence internship. So it's called the Crowdsourced Cyber Threat Intelligence Internship, targeting different events as capstones. We have close to 100 students now across the country, and we train them on cyber threat intelligence and analysis. And then we use the event as the capstone activity where we are generating intelligence, analyzing it and sharing it, both with 
uh, partners who are on the event side as well as with government um, if there's any law enforcement or you know, critical infrastructure, government-type threats. That's Doug DePep from the Cyber Resilience Institute. In the U.S., WannaCry and other recent incidents, including the Shadow Brokers leaks, have prompted a flurry of legislative attention. The Senate is considering the Patch Act, which would place the intelligence community's vulnerability equities process on a legal foundation. The House has passed a bill that would speed IT modernization within the federal government with a view to increasing security by closing the vulnerabilities legacy systems present. Also in the House, a member has introduced a bill that would mandate a review of the role played by cryptocurrencies in financing terrorism. Such investigation would be based to a significant extent on a priori probability as opposed to specific indicators. And finally, WannaCry itself seems to have prompted bipartisan introduction of the Advanced Cyber Defense Certainty Act in the House. The proposed legislation would empower U.S. companies hit by cyber attack to hack back under certain circumstances. For a useful thought experiment on how such hacking back might play out in practice, we recommend looking at the Atlantic Council's Cyber 912 exercise. You'll find a description on our site at thecyberwire.com slash events. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Emily Wilson. She's the director of analysis at Terbium Labs. Uh, Emily, your work takes you around the world, and uh, recently you were over in Europe, and that got you thinking about some of the coming privacy regulations. Absolutely. You know, we we here certainly in the industry in the states have conversations about privacy regulations all the time, and we're looking and hoping to see these have an impact at a national level. Uh, but yeah, I was recently in uh, recently in The Hague in particular. It was really interesting to talk to people about how they're thinking about privacy, especially as Europe as a whole is approaching, you know, the 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 GDPR regulation that's coming into effect next year. I think we're going to see some really interesting changes in expectations in in innovations and in evaluations of these companies and in software um, as people scramble to get ready for these GDPR. And it's going to affect companies of all sizes. 
Absolutely, right? This isn't just companies that hold a certain amount of personal information. This is everything from your your massive conglomerates to, you know, your your smaller or medium-sized businesses. Now everyone is responsible for the data and they really are responsible. This is this is not regulation that I think we're going to see moved. This is a hard deadline people need to prepare for. And how about if you are an American company who may be doing business overseas, may not know if you've got customers who are overseas. This will be this will have an effect on you as well. Absolutely. I, I really think that we're going to see some some trickle down or some flow over effects of this um, as as these companies, big and small, who are operating internationally uh, kind of need to prepare for this. You know, are these companies going to just handle their European data? Are they going to, you know, make some broader changes across their organizations? I think it's going to be an interesting year. So do you think we'll see a global shift towards more privacy just because it'll be easier for people to obey the rules of the European Union uh, to have one set of rules, I guess is what I'm getting at, rather than try to cherry pick around the world? I think the conversations that we see happening as European companies and as companies who operate internationally prepare for GDPR will help to structure uh, the conversations that are happening kind of internationally or domestically here in the States. Uh, But I don't know if I'd go as far to say as people are going to move toward one particular type of regulation or legislation on this. I think we're going to see a lot of people uh, holding off and punting for as long as possible, which is unfortunate. All right. Interesting stuff. Emily Wilson, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Listeners, we're always looking for ways to improve the N2K CyberWire network and maintain the intelligence-driven news experience that keeps you in the know on the latest developments in cybersecurity. We've launched our 2024 audience survey and would love for you to take a few minutes to share your feedback. And hey, there's even a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card if you complete the survey. Visit cyberwire.com slash survey. That's cyberwire.com slash survey and share your feedback now. And now a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. 
Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. 